The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you join me in Colossians chapter 3? We're in the fourth week of a five-week series on our core values. It's a little bit of a departure from our normal practice, which is the consecutive exposition of books of the Bible. We will pick that up in two weeks as we begin a study of 1 Timothy together. But for now, we've been looking at what it is as a church that we um, hold dear, how it is that we see ourselves living to accomplish our mission. We've said now for um, many, many years, as long as we've existed as Christ Central Church, that our mission is to be a Christ-centered family on mission. That's what we want to be. And so the question then is, how do we do that? And so sort of identified these five core values about what it means to be a a Christ-centered family on mission. So the first two weeks, we looked at this idea of being Christ-centered through um, authentic worship and doctrinal depth. Authentic worship and doctrinal depth. That was the first two weeks. And then last week, we began to, to look at what it means to be a, a family. And so last week, we talked about covenant membership. And this morning, we're going to talk about a culture of grace. And then next week, about what it means to be on mission. We'll talk about what it means to, be, to have a, a missional heart. Just by way of reminder, next week you have the opportunity to to tangibly do that. And that is to to give to this house that's being built in Jemison that will serve as a a missionary uh, respite. It's put in the heart of Danny and Teresa Varden and and Casey and Amanda there And so next week, we'll take up a, a love offering to go towards that over and above your regular tithes and offerings. You will see, hopefully, the, the need for that over and above your regular tithes and offerings next week as we also will um, present to you the, the budget for 2024. We just made some structural changes to the budget. Um, that's why it's, it's a little um, late in, in the year, later than normal, but we'll, we'll give that to you next week. So there's your... There's your week ahead notice um, that we will present that and vote on that next week. But this morning, our our task is to see what it, it means to be a family in terms of having a culture of grace. Being marked in this place as a people of grace. Here's, here's what I mean when I say that We want to have a culture of grace, and that is that we want to be a people who extend grace to one another because God has been gracious to us. Not real deep, real hard to understand. We want to be a people that extend grace to one another because God has been gracious to us. This is the flow of Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Colossians 3, 
12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Our time this morning will focus primarily on 12 through 15. But I hope that you see this this flow that God has called us to extend grace to others because He has been gracious to us, and that as a church here in Colossae, Paul is, is writing to them to, to encourage them, to admonish them that they should be a people that are marked by a culture of grace. Paul begins in verse 12 with this phrase, put on then. Put on then. This, this, this is where we get the language of a culture of grace. This is, I believe, what what Paul has in mind through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he commands them to to put these things on. It's literally you sink into these things, to be arrayed in these things, clothed in these things, enveloped, swallowed up by these things. That's how Paul begins. Put these things on. Now, here's what we got to see. That that this kind of language is far more than just a a momentary, reactionary behavior, isn't it? This isn't just a a one-time kind of thing. Every once in a while, once you, if you feel like it, and if they've been good to you, then you live this way towards other people. That that is not what put these things on means. It it means that this kind of living that that Paul lays out, that this kind of living should become your way of life. Your everyday disposition towards others. And that that when when Paul says that you you got to put these things on, what, what he means is that you have to make every day the conscious decision to live this way. Because this kind of living doesn't come naturally. This kind of living is a, is a decision that you've got to make to put these 
these things on, to be enveloped by these things. When Paul says, put these things on, I, I really think what he's saying is, as this church in Colossae, that this should become the natural expression of your um, commitment towards one another, or this should mark the culture of your church. And the same thing is, is true for us. It's, if we're going to be a people of, of grace, we're going to have a culture of, culture of grace, and, and we're going to kind of live this way towards others with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If we're going to live that way, then, then it, it's not momentary, it's not reactionary. It is a conscious decision that we're going we're gonna to be enveloped by this, consumed by this. We're going to put these things on every single day and that it will become the natural expression of, of our lives together. Put on then. That's this culture idea. And then he, he gives this sort of parenthetical statement here. Put on then. Before he tells us what to put on, he, he, he tells us something about us. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here's what I believe Paul is wanting us to see in the text is that, that we, are to, we are to sink into this kind of life, this, this life of extending grace. That we're to sink into this kind of life because of the grace of God that's been extended to us. Before, put these things on. Let me remind you of God's grace to you. Now be gracious to, to other people. This, this is what God's chosen ones means. It means that God has been gracious to you. That God has chosen you as his own. And in his choosing of you, what God has done is he has extended his grace towards you. That's what, that's what it means to be one of his chosen ones, to be chosen by him. It means that he has decided to extend grace to you. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Now, I've, I've preached through Ephesians. There's, there's a lot there. I'm, I'm most every sermon I've ever preached is recorded online somewhere. Um, but th this, this, is, this is before the foundation of the world. God made the determination to, if you're a believer in Him, made the, His determination to extend to you grace. To, to choose you and to call you to Himself. Why? Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. So our, our being chosen 
our election, our predestination, that's the language, is, is done for the purpose of the praise of God according to and for His glorious grace because His choosing of us is His decision to extend His grace to us. You see, you see the, that's the connection that Paul makes here. That our adoption, our predestination is a means of His grace. And as a means of His grace, it is for the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. With His grace, He has blessed us in the Beloved. God did not choose us because of our good works. He chose us before the foundation of the world. That's what the text says. And the text also says that He chose us according to His own purposes. Not, not according to ours. To His purpose to be gracious loving and kind and to make for himself a people to extend his grace. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 says that he who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He gave it to us in Christ before the ages began. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, guilty before Him, hearts bent in resistance to Him, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And He extended His grace to us, even though we were guilty of wronging Him. God was gracious. This is the nature of grace. This is what, what Jacob just talked about. It's the nature of grace. For God to be gracious to us means that we are in need of His grace. You see, grace, the, 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 the common definition of grace, I think it's a good one, is not giving a person what they deserve. That's grace. You deserve one thing and I have chosen not to give it to you. That's, that's, that's God towards us. What did we deserve? Because of our sin, we deserved His righteous judgment and wrath. Because of our sin against Him, we deserved death. But God was gracious to us in that He decided not to give us that. That's His grace. Now His mercy is Him giving us something that we did not deserve. So it means that we deserved judgment and death, yet He was gracious. He was gracious to us as He, according to His grace, made us holy and beloved by Him. Put on then as God's chosen ones, which means those who have received and display His grace. That's, that's Ephesians 1, that's 2 Timothy 1. Put on then as God's chosen ones who have received and display His grace by now being holy and beloved by Him. 
Right. When this sinks deep into our hearts, when we realize that the heights of our sin against him and the great depths of his grace towards us, then and only then should it move us to live lives that display that kind of grace. That that's how Paul starts this thing. Put on then. let this be your culture, your regular, normal Everyday decision made, I'm living this way, not momentary, not reactionary, not just towards those that you like, not just those those that you get along with, but you put on then because you've been chosen according to his grace. You've been made holy. You have been beloved by him. Therefore, then when you realize that, then you live this way. That's what we see continued in the text. Put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then he just starts listing these things that we're to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here's what we're going to do. Let's walk through these together. What are we to put on? What, what is to be the, the culture of our living together as a, as a body, as a family of faith? Well, first thing he says is compassionate hearts. Put on then, as one who has been chosen by God, received his grace, put on then compassionate hearts. What is compassion? Compassion is, is pity. Though I'm not crazy about that word. I think we might have kind of twisted that word a little bit. Sometimes pity can seem a little condescending, right? Um, but it, it's not meant to be. It, it is. Compassion is, it is mercy. It is sympathy. The way I see compassion, if we're to put on compassionate hearts towards one another, it is that, that we make the decision to try our best to see through the eyes of the other person. That we are to have an empathy and an understanding of them. That we're to, we're to Paul says we're to put on this kind of heart a compassionate, empathetic, understanding, sympathetic, merciful heart towards one another. That inwardly, your heart towards others should be marked by compassion. Compassion. This is, after all, the kind of heart that our Lord and Savior had towards us. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36 and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. God has had a compassionate heart towards us. He has a heart of compassion towards those who are harassed and helpless, those who are like sheep without a shepherd. That is the heart of Christ. And then Paul calls us to put on that same kind of heart. 
when you come and you engage in one another, that inwardly your heart is filled with compassion. Second thing that Paul lists is kindness. This is closely related to compassion. The Greek term here refers to the grace that pervades the whole person. I like the way MacArthur says it. That kindness is the mellowing of all that might be harsh. The mellowing of all that might be harsh. It's the word used by Jesus when he said, my yoke is easy. See, his yoke isn't harsh. His yoke isn't hard to bear. A kind of person that has kindness is a kind of person that is concerned about his neighbor's goodwill as much as he is his own. Church, we are called to be kind to one another, not harsh. After all, God has been kind to us, hasn't he? As a matter of fact, that it is his very kindness that leads us to, the, to repentance. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. What does that mean? That means that we can know that when we turn from our sin in repentance and turn towards him, what we will find in God is kindness, not harshness. A yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. How are we to live towards one another with kindness, not harshness? Bearing one another's burdens with grace. The third thing listed here is humility. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, and humility. Some would say that humility is thinking little of yourself. If you're going to be humble, then you need to think little of yourself. I would not define humility that way. I would define humility as thinking accurately about yourself. It is to see that you are a sinner. And you're a sinner against God and you're a sinner against others. And because of that, because I know my own heart, I know my own sin against God and against others, I therefore do not have a set of expectations on others that I cannot bear myself. That's humility. I know who I am. I know my heart. I know my sin. And I think accurately about myself, not pridefully, not arrogantly but accurately. And therefore, because I know my own sin, I know my own heart towards God and towards others, I don't expect from them something that I can't bear myself. And so, we must choose then to put on humility, to humble ourselves, and to put others before us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Why? Because you have an accurate self-awareness of your own sin and your own heart. And so you humble yourself and do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility you count others as more significant than yourself. Why? Why do, why do we live that way? Well, look, look at the way the, the verse ends there. Uh, Eli, I didn't put that in there. You don't have to. We can just read it. It goes on to say, let, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then the, we, we, the, the call in Philippians 2 to live in humility is because we have a, a Savior, we have a God who displayed humility. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of man, being found in the likeness of men, even to the point of death and death on the, on the cross. We have a God. We serve a God. We have a Savior who humbled Himself. Now there's a big difference between His humility and our humility. Our humility comes from a self-awareness of our own sin. His humility comes from His awareness of our sin, not His own. He had no reason to humble himself. We have a reason. Yet he chose according to his grace to humble himself. And he did it for our sake. So church, live like him with humility. Considering others more significant than ourselves. The third thing here is meekness. Meekness. Meekness is gentleness. Meekness isn't weakness. It's not spinelessness. I like, again, I like the way MacArthur says it. I know that's surprising to you. He says that meekness is a willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. I like that. A willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting injury. It doesn't mean that we're not able to, to, to hurt. We're not able to harm. It means we're just not willing to. When they say that thing to you and they, they harm you with their words, it's really easy to harm them back. But meekness says, I'm going to take the injury, not inflict the injury. This is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who could have with the thought with just the inclination of his heart, brought down myriads of angels to dispel his enemies. But he took the injury. The next thing listed is, is patience. Patience. The patient person does not get angry at others. William Barclay says that this is the spirit which never loses its patience with its fellow men. 
with their foolishness and their ill treatment, their unteachability, their insults, that those never drive us to cynicism or despair or bitterness or wrath. But instead, we're patient. We're patient. This is what it means to, to have grace, to be gracious. It means that we have compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. That we are patient with others because God has been patient with us in Christ Jesus. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ, Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. That God has been patient with us in Christ Jesus. And so He has called us to be patient with one another. I hope you see it by now. Every single one of these qualities that we are called to display towards one another, every single one of them are found in Christ Jesus. Every one of them. Church, we are called to be like Christ. We're called to live like Christ, to be gracious towards one another with compassion and kindness and meekness and patience and humility. It goes on to say in verse 13 that we are to bear with one another, to bear with one another. I, I'm glad that the, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put this in there. Because here's what that means. That means that this kind of life, it ain't easy. That it's hard. That you just have to, you got to bear through it. It, to bear with one another means to endure. It means to hold, to hold out living this way in spite of the difficulty or pain that it might cause. To bear with one another means to not retaliate, but instead just to endure. This is the language used of God towards us in His forbearance. This, this bears with us. He's patient, kind, He's gracious, He's merciful. We wrong Him, we wrong Him, we wrong Him, we wrong Him. He responds with grace, grace, and grace, and grace. We are to bear with one another. That means that I'm going to sin against you and you're going to sin against me. That none of us are perfect. That there are going to be moments and times where you are hurt and you are grieved by those who sit beside you. Yet for the sake of Christ and His name, you bear with your brother and your sister in their sin because He has bared with you in yours. You bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, you forgive each other. You forgive each other. This, this is literally in the Greek, the word is to be gracious with one another. If somebody has a complaint against you, you are just gracious with one another. You see, the church as a whole should be gracious 
The church as a whole should be quick to forgive one another. If someone has a complaint against another, Paul says, just plainly, forgive them. Forgive them. Now, this does not say that if that complaint isn't justified or true, forgive them. It just says, forgive them. When they wrong you, when they hurt you, when they say something that rubs you the wrong way, or they do something towards you that hurts, or they don't do something that you were expecting them to to do, you just simply choose to forgive them, to extend grace, even in the face of sin, even in the face of their stupidity. You forgive them. You bear with them. You're gracious with them. And then Paul goes on to say, because this task is impossible, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How has God forgiven you? He has forgiven you completely. He has forgiven you eternally. He has forgiven you without you doing one single thing to deserve it or earn it. That's how we're to forgive one another. As He has been gracious to us, we are called to be gracious to one another. And then verse 14. And above all these... Now this is a great list. I mean, you talk about a list of of some high qualities... I want to be this person and I want to marry this person. By God's grace, I did. (laughs) And she can sing too. And I'm fairly sure she could rebuild our house if she needed to. It's an inside joke. Above all these, put on love. Because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here's the image. Brother, sister, you decide every day to put these things on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, humility, patience, forbearance. You put these things on. But above them all, put on love because love is the belt that holds up all of these clothes you got to put on. It's the one that binds them and ties them all together. That love is the most important quality in a believer's life. And that this kind of love for one another, it comes from a deep, genuine love for God and a deep, genuine love for others. We are called to love one another. Believers will never experience the joy that can and should be found in the family of God if they are not first marked by love. All of these qualities are impossible without love for one another.
genuine, deep, heartfelt love. Above all these things, put on love. Why? Because love is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. 1 John 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And who does not love does not know God because God is love. Here, here, here it is, plain and simple. If you don't love others... Even when they sin against you, wrong you, and hurt you, if your heart isn't filled with love, then John is saying, you don't know God because He is love. And if you say you know Him and you say you love God, yet you don't love your brother, guess what you are? You're a liar. The truth's not in you. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. All of these qualities are only possible if they're bound together and held up by a deep, genuine love. That's it. This is what it should look like to be a part of a family. I'm going to wrong my wife and I'm going to hurt her and I'm going to sin against her and I have for the years we've been married many times but we stay together because she above all things loves me and she's going to wrong me She's going to sin against me. She's going to hurt me. But above all things, there's love. And my kids, they're going to do wrong things. And they're going to sin against me and their mom. And we're going to do our best to be patient and kind and gracious meek, gentle, with compassion. Why? Because we love them. This should be what it means to be a family. This is what it should look like. These should be the characteristics found in a family. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, Patience, endurance, forgiveness, and love. But I know that many of you did not grow up in a family marked by these things. And when I say that, when you see that, you think, not so in my family. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be Sigmund Freud here. 
But that kind of experience where you're raising a family where, where, where that isn't the norm can condition people to live a certain way. It can. That's why we must be born again. Because I, I don't care if you had the greatest mom and dad in the world. I think I did. They displayed these things to me. But that still, that kind of life still is not natural. I got to be born again. I got to be made a new creation. I got to be formed into the image of Christ. You see, this kind of life is impossible without the grace of God. It is impossible. But when His grace comes, it should change us. Because these very things are the things that we find in Him. We find in Him compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, endurance, forgiveness and love. See, when His grace comes, we find those things in God. They, they may not have been present in our earthly Father, but they are in our heavenly Father. These things may not have been present in our nuclear family, but they should be present in our spiritual family. Because we've all been born again into the image of Christ. Now here's the connection that, that I want us to make as a church. If we live together this way, like Paul calls the church at Colossae to live, then this kind of life, this kind of culture of grace, should be one of the things that makes the gospel so appealing to other people. Because in the family of God, in the church, there should be present all the things that we long for. Because the, the human heart is longing for compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, endurance, forgiveness and love. The human heart is longing for that. There are people in houses all around us who are longing for those things. And they are not finding it in the world. It doesn't exist there. And so when they see us, when they see our living together, it is this kind of life that should set us apart and display the beauty of the gospel to a world of brokenness and chaos. All around us is darkness and decay and brokenness and chaos. People longing to find these things. And they're looking for it. They're looking for it in a boyfriend. They're looking for it in a girlfriend. They're looking for it through dating apps. They're looking for it through jobs. They're looking for it through all of these things. And there in the midst of the darkness and the chaos should be a city set on a hill. A great light 
displaying the glory of God in the, the gospel of grace through people who live together with compassionate hearts and kindness and meekness and patience and humility and endurance and forgiveness and love. That say, come here and find in God and in us these things. In the people of God, is where these things are found. And when we find, when, when people come and they find their, their, their life is in chaos and they come and they find these things in God and in the people of God, then guess what happens? Verse 15, then the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. Because that's what we've been called to. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Be thankful. You can't live this way unless you let the word of Christ, verse 16, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is what it looks like to be a people marked by a culture of grace. I just wonder what the world sees when it looks at the church. Do they see this? In pockets, maybe. But by and large, nope. We're too busy getting mad at one another. Getting hurt. These people hurt me, so I'm going to this church. Well, they hurt me, so I'm going to this church. Well, they hurt me, so I'm going to this church. Well, they hurt me, I give up on church. My brothers, it ought not be so. We are to display and to live with one another in the same way that God has been towards us. Marked by grace. Father, would you help us in this endeavor? To live this way. This kind of life is impossible without your supply, without your help, without your grace, without being born again, without being transformed into the image of your Son. This kind of life is impossible without first knowing and experiencing your grace. So if there is one today who is still trying their best to earn your forgiveness, to work their way towards your acceptance, 
would they today in Christ Jesus see that grace is undeserved and you freely give to all who come to Him in faith? And would we as a people formed together by you, one body, a family, would we live this way towards one another to the praise of your glorious grace in Christ Jesus? Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.